Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Speaking of church holidays, that's what I want to talk about tonight. We have holidays in the church that we very commonly celebrate, Christmas obviously being a big one. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, God becoming flesh and living and dying on our behalf, the second celebration that we frequently, we always do, and sometimes even more than Christmas, is Easter. And we just celebrated that about five weeks ago. And Easter is the celebration of both the crucifixion and then the resurrection. The sinless one who died for us and then not only conquered sickness, but he conquered death and hell and the grave and he was resurrected again. But there is a third holiday that we sometimes talk about and we sometimes don't. Sometimes we'll just mention it on that Sunday. But you hardly ever see a cantata, you hardly ever see a a play centered around it, but it's coming up in two Sundays. And that holiday is called Pentecost Sunday. And tonight I want to just take our time together and just talk about what is Pentecost Sunday all about. Now, some of you have heard a lot about it, and you know a lot about it, but it is still my goal tonight to tell you at least two things about Pentecost that you don't know yet. Some of you have never even heard of it, and you surely don't know what it means to be a Pentecostal. So we're going to talk about Pentecost Sunday and what a Pentecostal is, and just kind of cover those topics tonight. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2, begin reading with verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we love your word. It is, it is so on target for our lives, where we are tonight, and where we are heading. And I pray that again you will take this passage of Scripture Open our minds and our hearts, our ears to receive what you have in store for us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, this is a holiday that is celebrated among many. It is said by some to be actually the birth of the church. When Christ ascended, he told his followers, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Wait until you receive the promise of the Father. So this is now 50 days later. 
He walked with them for 40 days. Then he ascended into heaven, and he told them, tarry until you are endued. That's in Luke chapter 24. So they go into an upper room in the city of Jerusalem, and they tarry, and they wait, and they pray, and they sing, and they wonder, what is this promise of the Father? What is this comforter that he told the disciples about? What is this? And then on the 10th day that they were there, after 40 days with him, so on 50th day after he was crucified, we see this account in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, descends on that group of 120 people that were in that upper room. He empowers them. He emboldens them. What God had in Jesus, the Holy Spirit now seems to give to the followers. They have a boldness that the shy Peter now turns around and preaches boldly, and 3,000 people get saved that same day. They now have the power to pray for the sick, and they get up. They have now the power to raise the dead. And these miracles that Jesus did seem to be transferred by the Holy Spirit on these 120 that were in the upper room. The birth of the church, the empowerment, you can see why this would be a special day. And now, every year, seven weeks after Easter is Pentecost Sunday. Some churches celebrate it. Some churches just mention it. But I want you to know tonight what that holiday is about. And two weeks from now, I want you to come to church with anticipation of what God might do again on your Pentecost Sunday, 2023. Now, while it happened in that upper room on this day, what I want you to know is that the Old Testament had already been telling us about what this event was going to be all about. And there are three foundational prophecies in the Old Testament that explain what Pentecost is. Now, the first one, Peter on this day explains. If you'll look down in verse 10 of this chapter, excuse me, it wasn't verse 10, uh, Verse 16, Peter stands up. They think these people are drunk because they're speaking in tongues. And he stands up and says, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So in the Old Testament, Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost this prophecy about that day and says there will be an empowerment that will come upon the people of God. They will be able to see visions about the future. They will dream dreams about what God has in store for his people they will prophesy. They will tell things about the future that there is no way to humanly know. So one of the things, the first thing from the Old Testament that we are told about this day is that God is going to give his followers supernatural power. 
Now, there is a major division within the Christian church today because while they all agree that on the day of Pentecost, supernatural power was given, about half of the church thinks, yes, it was given, but only till, until the Bible was completed. Because when they were telling people the gospel in Jerusalem, why would people believe them? But if they had the power to do miracles, then people would believe what they were saying. So there are a group of people who believe that the supernatural power that came on this day was for a time in history until the Bible and all 66 books was completed. And then the Bible could defend itself and didn't need anybody doing signs and wonders to, to defend it. Another group of the church today says, no, 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 no. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, this promise is to you. This promise of the Father is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God shall call. And you remember Joel's prophecy? Joel's prophecy was, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. How can the first century be the last days and the 21st century not be the last days? So we have this division in the church today. Legitimate Christians who are on both sides of the camp, one camp saying, yes, Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost was an awesome day in the first century, but once the New Testament was all wrapped up, the Bible could defend it itself and didn't need signs and wonders. The other group of the church said, no, this is something that started then, and it's not going to end until Jesus comes back. Any guesses which half of that group this church is a part of? Do you remember the song? I've seen him heal. Didn't you just, did you sing those words? He heals and I saw it. I've seen it. So this church is a part of the church today that believes that this outpouring of power that happened here, according to Joel's prophecy, will continue throughout the last days so that the people who are the followers of God who ask for the, not just for the salvation to have their sins forgiven, but then also ask, these 120 in that upper room were saved. They were followers of Christ. But on this day, they receive a second gift, an empowerment, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father to empower them to do signs and wonders in their Christian walk. So there's the first thing that the Old Testament tells us about this day is that on this day, followers of Christ will now have available to them an empowerment to do miracles if they ask him for it. Now, the one miracle that is the most uh, attention-grabbing is speaking in tongues. That's what they were doing on this day, and their people are saying, well, what's that? Oh, they're drunk. And Peter says, no, they're not. They, they're worshiping God. And besides, if they're drunk, I just heard you say you understood them. How can you understand a drunk guy? And you know what you just told me you heard them saying? The glorious works of God. 
So in a language these people who are speaking haven't learned, they are telling you how glorious God is, and they haven't even learned that language yet. So today, people who believe in speaking in tongues are given this label Pentecostal. If you believe in the supernatural power of God and you believe in speaking in tongues specifically, you usually get this title Pentecostal because you are focused on this holiday of the church called Pentecost Sunday. All right, all comfortable with that? That's one thing that the Old Testament told us about this. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Notice what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, had it only partially come up to this point? Had they ever celebrated this before? Well, the Feast of Pentecost was an Old Testament festival that God, through Moses, gave in the law. So for 800 years... They had been celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. And it is on this day in the first century, on that holiday, that the Holy Spirit is outpoured. I don't believe that was a coincidence. Could it have been the Holy Spirit was pulled out, poured out on Passover and we would all today be Passover Acostals? Would that be a problem? What if the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Jesus' birthday? We would be Christomacostals, right? <laughs> Does it matter that it was on the Feast of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out? Well, it does if you understand the Feast of Pentecost. What is the Feast of Pentecost? What is it they'd been celebrating for 800 years? What is it that all the male Jews had come to Jerusalem to celebrate on this particular weekend? What is the Feast of Pentecost? Well, it's a harvest festival. It is a festival that as the people were bringing in their crops that they were to celebrate this Feast of Pentecost. It's called also the Feast of Ingathering. It's called the Feast of Weeks because it's a week of weeks after, after Easter. So it has several names, but this Feast of Pentecost is a harvest festival. But it is a harvest festival that is specifically attached to one crop. Well, isn't it called the first fruits? Yeah, it's the first fruits, but of a particular crop. And that crop wasn't the first crop. So what, what vegetable out there do you think speaks well of Pentecostals? Well, because people are not sure about Pentecostals, maybe it would be at the harvest of tomatoes. Because we don't know if a tomato is a fruit or a vegetable anyway, right? What is it? <laughs> That's what they were saying on the day. What is this? What is it? <laughs> so is it the harvest of tomatoes that is the Feast of Pentecost celebration? No. How about this one? Jalapenos. That sets our mouth on fire, right? Maybe that would be a Pentecost harvest that would make sense. Well, I have, I have, well, I've got a picture, but let me just, before they put it up. Oh, they put it up. Okay. <laughs> a 
let me just add, anybody a farmer here? Because here's the weird thing about a harvest festival. Look what time of the year we're in. It's, it's May. In two Sundays, we're going to celebrate a harvest of a crop. What crop could that possibly be? Well, here's the picture. Anybody recognize that crop? Wheat. Yeah, that's wheat. But wait a second. Why are the trees green? Because it's May. Wheat ripens that fast. You could plant it last week and it's ready. No, this is a particular type of wheat. It's called winter wheat. Mmm. Anybody in a crowd this size, there's got to be somebody who's planted winter wheat. Anybody? All right. Thank you. Right back here. I got a witness. Okay. <clears throat> If someone is going to reap winter wheat right now, what year did they plant that wheat in? 2022. You got to listen to this. Everybody turn your brain, nudge your neighbor, say, wake up. He's going to say something special right now. <laughs> Here is the crop. That God in the Old Testament tied Pentecost to. It is the last crop from the farmer's efforts in 2022. See, in 2022, in the spring, the farmer went out and planted crops. And in the fall, he reaped them. But in a lot of places, I even saw this last year in July here in, in Wisconsin. I couldn't believe it. But... Uh, Israel is in about the climate of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. And so this is the week that they will be harvesting winter wheat. But they went out last fall, after they got the fall crops out of the field, they went out and they planted, there's seven different grains that they plant that are winter crops. The earliest one to ripen is barley. It ripens around Easter. But the longest one that it takes to ripen is winter wheat. So from the farmer's efforts in 2022, the very last crop to come in is winter wheat. And God said, when that winter wheat is ready to come in, I want you to have a party. But I want you to do it like this. I want you to go down one or two rows and get enough wheat to make a couple loaves of bread. And we're going to eat it and celebrate it and offer it to God. And we're going to thank him that the last harvest is coming in. And God said, once you've had that couple day festival... Then the party's over and you got to hit the fields and bring in that last crop. For 800 years, the Jews had been celebrating Pentecost, the feast of the last crop. And on the feast of Pentecost, 
when the last farmer's crop is about ready to come in, God pours his spirit out on 120 people in the upper room. What could that possibly mean? He wants all of his children to eat Wheaties. He wants all of his children to eat wheat bread. No. The physical symbolism comes over into the spiritual symbolism. And the last way that humanity is going to be able to get saved is now available. And the last crop is ready to come in. You see, before the law, Abraham, Adam, Abel, Enoch, they were able to please God, but there was a certain way they had to do that. After the law, there was a way to get right with God and to cover your sins, but it involved the sacrifice of animals. But as of this day, there is a new way to get saved, and that is to believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And at the initiation of the last way humanity has to get saved, Jesus pours his Holy Spirit on his children to help them bring in that last crop. If you are Pentecostal, that may mean that you speak in tongues, but it also has to mean that you are dedicated to saving souls in the last day. That you are committed to helping people come to Jesus Christ. That's the second Old Testament meaning to what this day of Pentecost is all about. Harvesters, soul winners. So let me ask you, if I gave each of you $1,000 and I said, use this so that you can win as many people to the Lord as possible, what would you do with it? Well, I'd buy some, <laughs> give it to the church, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd buy some tracks, pass it out. I'd print off some brochures, pass it around the neighborhood. I'd invite people over to dinner, and I would tell them about Jesus Christ. I would start an internet program and share the gospel. I'd uh, go on Facebook, that's free, I could do that to share the <clears throat> Okay, yeah. What would you do? Well, I, I, I skipped over it, but I agree with the first answer that was given. Pastor Brooks and Pastor Tonto have put together a missions giving and a missions outreach pro program from this church that is literally reaching the world. You have missionaries on every continent of the world. You have missionaries who are starting Bible colleges in their country to prayer, prepare preachers to go out and start churches in that nation. You have missionaries who are creating internet uh, content to share the gospel and let the word of God spread through the ethernet to everybody in the world. If I had $1,000, I would give it to Discover Church and the missions program and show that I was doing every, everything I could to reach this world for Jesus Christ in the last days. But somewhere we'd have to add to that, and we would have to be the ones that would reach our neighbors and reach our family. What did Jesus say? I want you to, you'll receive power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. 
Discover, ha- Discover Church has the uttermost, but what about Jerusalem? Well, they can reach parts of Oak Creek and parts of, of Milwaukee, but maybe not your neighborhood. Let me give you five words here that you will need to remember if you want to share the gospel. I hear people say that. Whenever you feel like the Holy Spirit's opening doors, then share the gospel. Share Jesus. Well, I want to ask, well, what's that mean? Well, how do I know I've fully shared Jesus? How do I know I've fully shared the gospel? Well, here are five words that give you five components of the gospel that you would probably need to cover with someone so they fully understood the gospel. All right, are you ready? Here they are. The first word is God. Second word is humanity. The third word is Jesus. The fourth word is faith. And the fifth word is heaven. Now, here's what that means. If you're going to share the gospel, somewhere you have to cover this topic of God, that he is the creator of heaven and earth, that he created us and he gives us breath. That he made everything so he has the right to set the rules. And he created us to love us and to spend eternity with us. He is all-powerful and all-loving. But then the second word, humanity. From Adam right down to you, all of humanity has turned their back on God. They have disobeyed him. Even though he has the right to set the rules, even though he loved them and gave them life, we at some point have chosen someone or something else over God, and we have turned our back. We have disobeyed him. God is good. We have disobeyed him. That brings us to the third word, and that is Jesus. No matter how good you try to be after you've disobeyed God, you cannot make it right. A murderer, no matter how sorry they are, cannot make it right. And we as sinners, to the best of our desires, cannot make it right. We needed help. So God sent his son, Jesus, to be the one who reconciles humanity with his father. To cover our sins so that our relationship can be restored. If you're going to share the gospel, you've got to share how good God is, how evil man has been, and how gracious a gift Jesus Christ was. The fourth word is faith. The only thing you have to do to receive that gift of Jesus is simply to believe. You don't have to work for it. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't earn it any way on your own. If you ask somebody, are you going to heaven? They say yes. And you say, how do you know that? And they say, anything that starts with the word I, they don't understand. I, no, Jesus. Why are you going to heaven? Because Jesus died for me. Why are you going to heaven? Because Jesus' blood has covered my sins. Why are you going to heaven? Because God sent his son to die in my place. That's why I'm going to heaven. The fifth word is heaven, and that is the reminder that we were not created to spend eternity on earth. While being a Christian has a lot of benefits in this lifetime, the real benefit is that we get to spend eternity with him. We were not created to be here. We were created to be there. But God made the option available for us to not choose him. And besides heaven, there is a second dwelling place in eternity, and that is hell.
I want to serve God because I love him, but I also want to go to heaven and be with him forever. If you're going to share the gospel with someone, and you do need to, okay, I, I don't believe all of us need to go out and be the evangelist and go door to door and, and, and go into every restaurant and always share the gospel with every person we meet. There is a gift of evangelists that anoints people to do that, and they have great success. But I do believe all of us have been given the Great Commission. And if we're backed in a corner or our family member is dying and they say, help me get saved, we ought to be able to rise to the occasion. If you were asked to lead someone to the Lord, you need to be able to do that. Not simply call the pastor or call the evangelist. You need to be able to share. Now, if you say, oh, how do I remember those five words? Well, just remember the verse you already know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, humanity, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have heaven, everlasting life. If you are a Pentecostal, yes, you may speak in tongues. You may be anointed to raise the dead and heal the sick. Yes, as a Pentecostal, you are also then called to be involved in evangelism. It is not somebody else's game. It's your calling. It's your mission. And you need to think of ways that you can be always efficiently working at building bridges to the lost through this church and on your own. That is what a harvester would be doing, the last harvest. All right. Time is getting away for us. Let me go to the third Old Testament foundational principle that defines Pentecost for us. Now, how did this begin? With me, I started wondering, look, I know what the New Testament Pentecost is, and I know what the New Testament Passover is. Jesus' blood shed for my sins. I know what the Old Testament Passover is. That's when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. They killed a lamb and put the lamb's blood on the doorpost. So that night when the death angel came through, he passed over their house and went to the next house that didn't have the lamb's blood on it and took the firstborn. But I couldn't figure out, and I didn't remember anybody telling me, after that Old Testament Passover, what happened on the 50th day after that? Isn't there any Old Testament predecessant event? Isn't there a preceding event in the Old Testament on the 50th day after Passover that would tell us about the Pentecost in the New Testament? And so I went back to Exodus where they exited Egypt and I started with chapter 1 and I started looking and trying to figure out the, the day clues that would tell me what happened on the 50th day. And I got to the Red Sea, but it didn't really say, you know, maybe a couple weeks, but it didn't really give a date, or it definitely, definitely wasn't 50 days. And then we had the water coming out of the rock event. That would have been kind of a cool precursor to the day of Pentecost. Uh, we had uh, Miriam singing the song of deliverance. That would have been a, a celebration victory that could kind of be tied in. And then I got to Exodus chapter 19. So if you'll turn there with me, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1, it says this. Exodus 
Now, if you have the NIV, don't read it out loud because you've got the secret. They, they, they've figured it out in the NIV. But in the New King James Version, it says this. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. I'm like, oh, Sinai, that would be a cool event. That, you know, the glory of God coming down, that would be like his glory falling up the room. That would be cool, but that's at the third month. That's 90 days. I'm looking for 50 days. So I went back to chapter 18 and looked again, back to chapter 17 and looked again. And I, I just couldn't find it. There was nothing on the 50th day. Then I think the Holy Spirit just dropped this idea in my head. It's like, wait a second. It's only 90 days <coughs> if they leave on the first day of the first month and Sinai happens on the last day of the third month. Maybe they didn't leave on the first day of the first month. So I went back and checked out. They didn't. Passover is on the 14th day. Of the first month. So you do, you do that math. You only have 16 days of travel. And, the, and then the 30 and 30. Well that's 30, 30 is 60. And 16 is 76. Well, that's closer to 50. But that's not 50. Well maybe they didn't arrive on the last day. And so I started looking here again. On in verse 19. Or chapter 19 verse 1. And I, my eyes kind of gravitated to that phrase. On the same day. I thought, oh, maybe they arrived on the same day of the month as they left, the 14th. But that's 60 days. That's still not close enough. So I pulled out my commentaries and started looking. and said, no, no, no. They arrived on the same day the month did. What day does the month arrive? The on the first. All right. 16 days in the first month to travel. 30 days, the all of the second month, so 30 and 16 is what? 46. Then the first day of the third month, 46 and 1 is 47. Well, that's still not 50, but that's closer than 90. And so it's like, I, I think we're on to something here. It's, it's, uh, math's working out a little better, but 47 is not 50. Now, if you still have your finger there in Exodus 19, go down to verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the What's 47 plus 3? <laughs> okay. There you go. You didn't know you'd have to do math tonight. I've made you farmers and mathematicians all in one night. You're geniuses. All right. Here, here's the point. Mount Sinai is the 50-day event. 50 days after the Passover, they were at Mount Sinai. God had told them, I'm giving you three days to clean up your act because on the third day, my glory's coming down. I want you to separate yourself from idols. Anything unclean, I want you to take care of it because my glory is coming down. Here's what Sinai is about. Just think of the word sanctification. 
If you are sanctified, that's what's happening to them. Sanctification has three parts. You're being separated, you're being purified, and you're being ordained. You're being separated from Egypt. You're being purified, and now I'm calling you. I'm ordaining you to be a channel of my blessing to the rest of the world. The rest of the world is going to find out how good I am by the way I treat you. On the 50th day after the lamb's blood is spread on the doorpost, God's glory comes down on Sinai and sanctifies the people of the Old Testament. Fifty days after Christ is crucified and his blood cleanses you and me, fifty days after that, God's glory comes down on that fire descends, cloven tongues set upon each of them, and they were set apart, they were purified, and they were ordained to take the gospel to the nations. Mount Sinai is the precursor to Pentecost. And those two need to be linked together. So when you come to church two Sundays from now, I want you to come anticipating that we are celebrating God's glory falling upon his church, empowering us with signs, abilities to do signs and wonders so that we can reach this final harvest. And he is calling us to be able to do that, to stay qualified. We need to be purified. We need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart. We need his Holy Spirit to help us to stay holy. If you're a Pentecostal, if you're in the half of the church today, uh, and not just half of this church, half of the church worldwide, followers of Jesus Christ, who believe that Pentecost is for all of the last days, it doesn't just mean you believe in speaking in tongues. It means you believe in empowerment to reach supernatural power, to reach sinners in these last days, and to be blessed by him and empowered by him to live holy lives. If you believe that, you're a Pentecostal. You're a Pentecostal. Amen. Amen. Dan, if you would come, we'll turn it back to you. Those are the three foundational Old Testament insights to what Pentecost was, be, was to be. And in two weeks, I hope you celebrate Pentecost Sunday in a deeper and richer fashion than you ever had before. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.